I've got pneumonia. You got pneumonia? No, I, I've got new mania. New mania? What even is that? Is that just new plus some ooh double O's? No, no, it's new mania. That's what I've got. New mania, a mania for the new you. <sighs> Welcome back, new Eumaniacs, to the Spinner Rack here at the Marvel New Universe Comics Podcast, the voice of the new universe. We are your hosts, Stephen with Cyforce Annual Number One, and Andy also with Cyforce Annual Number One. What? <laughs> hey, it's a big book. <laughs> we'll be lucky if we get through it. <laughs> it's, we got room on this hard drive. I don't know. <laughs> I had to delete some files. Oh, All right. Um, the new universe started in 1986 as an imprint. See, the new Eumania has uh, thrown off my game. Uh, <laughs> so, the new universe is an imprint from Mar- Marvel Comics dedicated to a more grounded and less fantastic approach to comics and world building. The idea was the world outside your window, uh, real time progress, and reasonably cinematically realistic technology physics astronomy and biology eight new comic series launched in one month set in our world 1987 and now as we close out the first year the world still largely doesn't know about paranormals except for the cia Um, and so with our podcast of course you can follow along with us each week as you should uh, and we go through each comic in the order they hit the spinner rack or you can just check out individual comics to follow one story if you have a favorite um you can find us at kickersinc.com in which there's always some kind of sweepstakes going on including this super sleuth sweepstakes still available a lot of s's uh, and then for season three we're going to do a new contest and we also have a slogan contest try and beat the new humania thing right somebody's got to do it and what else we've got twitter at kickers inc it'll update you when an episode drops and give you a juicy tidbit and there is a facebook fan page not run by us but easily found marvel comics new universe fans that's a lot all right this week i'll be covering cyforce Avoiding trouble from street gangs and government agents, a group of psychic teenage paranormal runaways is bound together by a psychic entity they call the Psyhawk, who they resent and fear. Wayne, Tyrone, Kathy, Stasi, and Michael, they have no name for themselves yet, but we call them Psyforce. And apparently we weren't the only ones. I guess, yeah. Interesting. I didn't come up with it. We, we learn more about the origins of uh, Cyforce in today's episode. This week, Cyforce Annual Number 1. What exactly happened to all the Cyforce members the day of the mysterious white event? The day they received their powers? The truth can now be told. Plus, the Cyforce <laughs> accepts a new member. 
But does that mean an old member must go? Secrets is written by Danny Fingeroth and illustrated by Mark Texiera. The truth can now be told. Sounds great. Yeah. Also, one of them killed Kennedy. I, I should start every college lecture with that. The truth can now be told. <laughs> by molecular nucleophilic substitution. <laughs> the truth. At last. In a shorter version of that, Cyforce loses a member and gains a new one. Also, find out what all the team members members experienced on the day they gained their powers. Hmm. More spoilery and less flashy. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and we're we're a tag team in these annuals because they are indeed giant sized with many many words. Uh, we're taking it easy going through the four annuals that came out, uh, still in the order they were produced, but without the regular issues appearing that month. Um, and then you know we'll kind of start month thirteen after that. So um, lots to cover in Cyforce Annual Number One. Honestly, I'm a little relieved that after reading this, that there's no annual number two because they're too long. <laughs> they uh, they put some effort into these things. They are long, about 40 pages. So like a good ex. I think the idea of the annual and originally was like a 13th week uh, or, or mm. month, you know, to to if you, you're doing uh, one every four weeks, then you would have possibility of having 13 over a year yeah and, but, uh, but don't skip this one if you're listening and you're like oh this sounds long and boring it's actually it's long but interesting and it actually has some important story beats as you can figure from the solicit uh yeah find out who's leaving this is uh the not one of those annuals where it's completely out of continuity or it doesn't matter like the the regular series continues and you with you know, without missing a beat, big cough, things are cough, happening. Star brand. <laughs> they want to name names, but uh, just call yeah. it Star B. No, <laughs> we'll preserve its an- anonymity. S- but uh, yeah, Star B, just like I don't know. Could be anything. It's it was actually. I was gonna say like Star B was like two fill-in issues and this is like two of the main issues and uh, you know with with all that entails Alrighty, let's dig on in um this book is cover dated just 1987 um mm-hmm. we believe it came out july 14th 1987 along with uh, maybe that's spitfire number 13 um and uh, it fits in continuity right after uh, the 12th issue of the ser- main series, um, which was the one with Stasi joining a cult, um, getting her using her healing powers, and then the team having to rescue her. Um, that was a good one. That was good, yeah. Cyforce is on a roll as we head out of the, the first year. So maybe it's not a, you know coincidence that it got renewed cover is pretty good we've got the five cyforce teens kind of standing in you know like space up against like a, a sort of a graphic portrait of the cyhawk space 
and uh, they're let's call it giant butter colored Cyhawk head. <laughs> um, and um, they are looking at the reader and with his back to the reader and looking at them with his hands glowing is a uh, mysterious figure with red hair and a uh, newsboy cap. I'm joining Psy Force. So one of you has got to go. Cyforce doesn't look too happy with that development. It's a little pushy. You know, um, up at the top, we, uh, similar to the star brand, I think, um, we have new universe logo is in black on a white background, just above giant sized annual in that new universe font. So, um, At least they looked consistent on the newsstand. Flipping inside oh, no. to the splash page, we've got um, the title, Secrets. And uh, the creative team, writer Danny Fingeroth, Mark Texiera, artist, Bob Sharon, colorist, and uh, Jim Shooter, still credited as editor-in-chief. So we start off with uh, Michael sort of running towards the viewer and some text boxes saying that he, Stasi, and Tyrone are all, um, that they're all paranormals and psychics, but they just are taking an afternoon off and they're at the San Francisco Museum of Science, just trying to be normal, which Michael is not really normal, but as we'll see in a second, but okay. He's I think normal. They're... He's just a classic 80s nerd. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, besides the power to explode things. There is that, yeah. But it's, <laughs> it's a very... Oh, you're a nerd. Okay, well, now we know everything we need to know about you. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think they, they're, they're... This is the California Academy of Sciences, which is in Golden Gate Park. Um, or is meant to be, which, I don't know. There's like a planetarium there. I'm not sure I've ever went there more than once, but... Um, the three kids are looking at a area of the museum that seems to be dedicated to insects because there's like all kinds of um, mounted insects and giant replicas of insects. There's like a cockroach that's like 20 feet tall long on one wall and Stasi and Tyrone are gagging and like wanting to move on. And Michael's like, oh, this is great. Oh, oh have you read all this information? Oh, it's so much to know. Um, so they're, they're sort of, uh, talking a bit more and, uh, you get some like good connection between Stasi and Tyrone and Michael. He's, uh, he's saying that, that, um, I'm having such a good time being here with you two. I've never had such good friends, uh, before you guys know I'd do anything for you. And Stasi and oh. Michael, or Tyrone are much the same, like. They, let's see, Michael goes get some refreshments and uh, we see that he's short on cash. I'm not sure yeah. where he got any. Three problems. donuts, three Cokes, three bags of potato chips, $9.20 at inflated museum prices. So it's definitely 1987. <laughs> That'd be like $60 now or something. Yeah. The, uh, 
Whenever you're like, oh, we'll just take the kid out to uh, the children's museum, the science center. That'll be a nice, cheap way to spend the afternoon. You know, it's like. So for the overpriced, disgusting food. <laughs> I had to wait on a line for it last time, too. Terrible. Right. But it's anyway. Depressing. So uh, let's see. He comes running back. And of course, someone trips him. Um, hard to say if that's on purpose. They kind of laugh at him. But uh, he feels like he's screwed up. But uh, Stasi and Tyrone like console him. He's uh, like, you know, your heart's in the right place. That's what counts. She's right, Mike. It's all pretty heartwarming, really. Yeah. And notably, Michael says he, got, he has a part-time job at the museum. Oh, okay. There we go. The uh, What I get for skipping over the huge word balloons everywhere. Uh, yeah. Well, it, it becomes relevant later, so I wanted to make sure to point it out. Yes, very, very good. So, um, scene changes to uh, downtown San Francisco, not far from Chinatown, where there, um, there's someone riding a cable car. It's our old friend, Thomas Boyd, a.k.a. The Stalker, a.k.a. Psy Stalker, which is what they first called him. But As it says, once he had hunted Michael Crawley and his friends, today he is the hunted. And Thomas sees like... Sorry. I said, what a twist. What a twist. Thomas sees a guy on the cable car. He's staring at me too closely, pulling a gun. Thomas throws a girl at him. This guy in a trench coat, very uh, noir, film noir detective looking guy. So, yeah, he literally like pushes a girl at, at him and jumps off the cable car. And then he's running down the street. Maybe I can lose him in Chinatown. And there's some Chinatown signs everywhere all of a sudden. I'll duck in here to Lung Fung Restaurant. You think that duck in here is a Chinese food pun? Uh, duck sauce, kind of, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Probably not thinking of that while he's running for his life. You know, the writers sometimes have their own little, like, jokes for themselves, you know. Or at least I do, so I don't know. <laughs> um, he jumps into one of these like super crowded tiny restaurants and is like, the place is jammed. Should be easy to lose myself in the crowd. It's like 10 feet across. I don't know. But, yeah. And then he uh, pushes someone out of his way who actually like the coloring ha- makes her look exactly like the woman that he threw at the guy on the <laughs> cable car. But Maybe she ran with him and like followed him back. And Why do you like, keep doing this? Time. Why can't you just leave me alone? Um, <laughs> and uh, Thomas then like jumps past a waiter who j- gets shot because the guy had come into the restaurant and there's like a, a, a revolver shooting at Thomas and hitting this waiter by, by mistake. I can't believe it. He's firing inside the restaurant. The uh, next panel we see Thomas getting shot. Ah, my leg. And the guy is now standing over Thomas. Um, They're both standing on a rug near the exit. Well, Thomas is kind of prone on the ground, uh, so they're inching away. And the guy is telling him, forget about using your power, kid. I'm too far away for you to touch me. 
Kiss this life goodbye. Not mm. today, friend. Thomas does a pretty good move here. He kind of rolls over and pulls the carpet out uh, from under this guy who just falls on the ground. And while he's reaching for his gun, Thomas gets to him close enough to um, crunch his hand and then use his power when he touches the guy. Think that hurt, friend? Then try this. No! <laughs> yeah, he like steps on his fingers and then like grabs him on the shoulder and it looks like he just fries him. Like there's a, like almost Looney Tunes, like he's got smoke coming off his back and like there's a burn mark on the floor. Like, ouch. Yeah, the scorch mark in the next panel <laughs> around him on the floor is quite interesting. But I mean, I, I don't know. It's as the narration says, he can leech the energy from a person's body, leaving him an, unable to move. Um, so he's gotten the energy from this guy and he's kind of, the guy is kind of smoking now. I guess um, it almost kind of makes sense from a like chemistry pr perspective though, right? Like if you're going to transfer a bunch of energy, like there's going to be a lot of waste heat, right? So the faster you do it, like the more heat's going to be given off. So then he kind of fries the guy a little bit. Um, unclear as to whether he's dead he, they just say unable to move but he is kind of smoking on the floor so i've seen yeah guys uh who 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 went up against justice look more lively than that but okay it's you know we'll assume that he can be alive thomas isn't necessarily a killer probably probably uh, so yeah, people around him are like, what did you do? What happened? What was that? And, uh, Thomas is just, uh, heading out the exit. I got to run somewhere and hide, get my leg patched up. But where ever since I turned against my boss, he's had goons out after me, but they never came this close before. Then we see a little memory of Thomas, uh, dealing with Cyforce before and, um, how he had, uh, confronted Cyhawk and even uh, you know, been part of Cyhawk. So he, he's like thinking, you know, they've got the same powers as me and they're in the same spot and they could help me and this boss is going to get me killed. So did I do the right thing? Where did it get me? Uh, there's no one I can turn to now, but they'd never trust me. Would they? Mm hmm so I have a feeling we're going to find out. Oh, yeah. Later that day in the backyard of the halfway house for runaways called Sanctuary. So uh, is this the first time we've seen the backyard of the sanctuary? Like the one more space that this place takes up. It's got a nice yard. The um, uh, yard seems like a house, you know, lawn size. So. Um, it could just be one of many lawns. That they <laughs> but we get there and uh, all five of the Psyforce kids are back and they're doing chores, I guess, uh, helping out in the uh, yard. Wayne's got a shovel and uh, Michael's digging up worms and uh, Sassy and uh, Kathy are um, planting. Um, I don't know. Just looking at flowers. <laughs> yeah. So they talk a little about uh, their day at the museum and uh, should have been with us, Wayne. Yeah. 
you know, Wayne's not a joiner, um, but uh, he's like, he, he does say a second later that, you know, we wouldn't be on your case so much if we didn't like you. Yeah, you may be a twerp sometimes, but you're our twerp. You're okay. This is all the, all the other kids talking to Michael. Maybe we'd rather be home, but as long as we're stuck here, I'm glad we're stuck here with us, Mike. Kathy speaks for us all, Mike. Thanks, guys. These guys are the best friends I've ever had. I wouldn't want to go home even if I could. Hopefully my friends aren't foreshadowing something. <laughs> I really, really like this, this next... won't lead anywhere. I really like this next moment where like Wayne gives him a, the frog in the jar, though. Like It just seems cute. Like Me yeah. and Wayne is buddies now. I mean, when you've even got Wayne on your side, you've been, uh, you know, Working hard to uh, ingratiate yourself. I think, uh, yeah, Wayne gives him a, a frog he had caught in a jar, which is weird in San Francisco, but okay. Um, next page, Colby Shaw, the um, house matron of Sanctuary, comes out and tells Tyrone that someone had slipped a letter under the door for him. He uh, starts reading it. Holy cow, I can't believe it. And Colby goes to stop some repo men. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I like that. The uh there are he Tyrone immediately shows this letter to the other kids, and it is um it's from Thomas, the stalker. And it is a lot of I know we've been enemies in the past, but when I saved your lives, lives I admit I myself put in danger. It ruined my life. I'm hunted and hurt, and I need your help. Please meet me tomorrow at 5 p.m. at the greenhouse in Golden Gate Park. Kids start arguing immediately. Must be some kind of trap. I bet he uh, and a boss reconciled. He can't be trusted. Well, maybe he had a change of heart. I don't know. A lot of back and forth, and uh, they talk about, um, you know, so Emmett, Proudhawk, sorry, who had put them together, had files on all of them. So he had been following them all when they got their powers and maybe even before that. And so he knew stuff about um, Thomas that maybe um, he left some, some of this knowledge behind. So they think, well, why don't we go ask Colby if she knows anything about that Emmett left? So. Didn't you didn't you think this was going to be the skipper setup? You know, like I bet I know who might be able to get us the files and then see Cyforce number one. Like like skipper, he's coming. You're like yeah, speed no. dial skipper number. You know, like hello skip. Uh, never mind. Sorry, R wrong it, number. Wrong he's on a lawn chair in Hawaii or something. Wayne, <laughs> Wayne, is that you? No, uh, this isn't Wayne at all. I sorry, I was. Skipper's retired. He doesn't care anymore. He's got the umbrella in his drink. It is. <laughs> He's not taking care I, of these kids. To be honest, yeah, of things that surprised me of of uh, Cyforce, Skipper not coming back even at this point is probably at number one. If we first see couple him again... of issues were like, you've got the kids and you got their old man leader who is right? Skipper, I guess. We do not have an old man leader. If we if we see him again, I will rejoice because I honestly have no idea if he ever shows up again. 
Uh, let's see. So the, the uh, they go hit up Colby to see if um, some amusing moments with a uh, the repo men being sent their way. So they ask him, ask her. Colby is not a guy. Did he leave a diary of copies of files or anything like that? Why would you ask such a strangely specific question, Tyrone? Maybe something hidden behind a photograph. That you know, an ammo disk or something. Um, Did he leave an AI program with his personality that can answer questions? We'd be willing to use that. We're just a, like a VCR tape that has like pictures of him telling us what to do with our lives. So I definitely work with the CIA. So, so kids, if you're reading this now, I know you've just come from the backyard of the sanctuary and are wondering about your powers and whether <laughs> you should trust Thomas Boyd. Exactly. Really need to pre-record more things. Oh. By the time by the time we get to the end of the new universe, it, it'll be entirely like our like radio drama club <laughs> with a slight review last issue. Anyway, so hey, I just remembered Emmett did have some things stashed here in a duffel bag. I thought it was just some clothes, but hey, let's go do let's go take a look at that. So she gets that duffel bag out, and the kids start looking at into it. And Colby's like, okay, well, I get first dibs on anything interesting in there. And uh, they sort of, you know, dig around a little, and suddenly Kathy has like a sneezing fit. <laughs> so much dust. <laughs> got new, new pneumonia. <laughs> I got new pneumonia. <laughs> so Colby goes to take care of uh, Kathy. Yeah, a couple of slaps on the back. And uh, oh, I'm, <clears throat> I'm okay now. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Well, sorry I didn't find anything in the duffel, kids. I'll uh, ship it off to Emmett's family at that reservation we just met a couple of issues ago. Um, but uh, Kathy goes back, and Wayne's like, um, good coughing, Kathy. Uh, you distracted her successfully. And I guess Wayne had given her a little psychic command to start coughing to distract Colby so that he could pocket these uh, computer disks he had found. How big did you say a floppy disk holds? 1.2 megabytes. Wow. Okay. Loads of information. Is that like a 3.5? No, those would be the five inches. Really? Yeah. Wow. Good boys. I thought those were like 56K or something. Yeah, more than I would have thought too. Interesting. Um, so anyway, she's, she's like, don't, you don't have to bark your telepathic messages so loud. Um, Hey, floppy disk, each with a different one of our names on it, including stalkers. So then, uh, Michael says something you won't hear now. And it is, you know, could be what we need. I can get us access to the museum's computers and we can look at them there. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, that's the ladies for you. So early the next morning, Sunday morning, apparently. Sure, you can use the computer room, Michael. We we don't have anyone scheduled to use it for a few hours. Oh, that's great, Dr. Zafar. Dr. <laughs> Zafar is, uh, I know it sounds like uh, Saxon St. John from 
codename Spitfire, some like super villain name. No, she's just a scientist who works at the museum. Yep. Anyway, you're welcome, Michael. Don't get so carried away. You forget your job in the bio lab later. Just a normal biology lab. Um, anyway, he says, uh, he's thinking it's 6.30 on a Sunday morning. I couldn't wait to get here. So he boots up Cyforce, disc number one, general information. Hmm. He's like, Cyforce? Wonder what that means. So At we, last. So they, had, they had accidentally used Cyforce in like a narration or something? Yeah, I think it was one or two just um, issues ago like the narration box called them but i don't even think it was something the kids themselves said yeah i don't think so so this is the first appearance of cyforce then is what i'm calling it i'll call it that too so he yeah he doesn't recognize the the reference which of course all of us who've been reading this for a year are like that's you that's what we call you that's your team your gang Oh, dear Lord. So it starts off with general information, which is just Emmett reliving his dream about a hawk, uh, a couple of wolves, and uh, a bunch of rabbits, and how there had to be five rabbits. And the hawk tried to protect them, but then was killed by the wolves. And then um, the the bigger, oh. better hawk came. <laughs> yeah, the, the rabbits put themselves together and formed a bigger, better hawk. And that was Cyhawk. Go to bed, kids. Cyhawk will watch over you. <laughs> so um, it goes on a little more interesting details about um, that there are, as Emma says, eight young people on my list, only five rabbits in my dream. And yet my grandmother, we met her a couple issues ago, uh, whose instincts I really respect, claims it was a prophetic dream that everything in it has meaning. What can it mean in the, I, that I can only protect five? Will the others be forced to fend for themselves? Yeah, well, actually, actually, only one would be an outcast. Two of the kids, Joan Grant and Thomas Boyd, are dead, and Edward Finelli is missing. But if I succeed in rescuing the um, Inution girl, Stasi, and locate Finelli, who we don't know anything about, will I be forced to turn one of them away? So Michael's surprised by this. Boyd dead? What's he talking about? So he thinks a little bit more about Cyhawk and how the dream and everything, and that Hawk didn't know how prophetic his dream was. He died, and then they psychically projected, the five of them, this uh, being, Cyhawk, that then protected them, but then also controlled them in some ways. And he realizes that if Stalker joins up with us, there'll be six of us, and that means someone will have to leave. Michael is really like uh, thinking hard about all this and sort of walking around. Um, well, we'll just tell him to forget it, but well, I don't know. I mean, he did help save our lives. Can we just let him go? Maybe. And so... He thinks about how everyone else says they'd love to leave the group. So, uh, and it's only Cyhawk that keeps them together. Maybe, you know, if, if we get one in, one of them can go home, which is what they seem to want. 
but mm, I'd really miss these people. I really, they're my best friends, blah, blah, blah. So he's really like, I don't know what to think. And just then the other four members of, as we now realize, Psy Force come in. Um, yeah, I'm going to call him Psy Force every, every panel now. Yeah. I guess it's time. Time It's is official. Now. Finally. Let's get, the, let's get the jackets with the Psy Force logo on them. So he tells them that uh, Proudhawk thought Stalker was dead, and uh, there's another kid out there somewhere. Yeah, that's weird. But they uh, they took a look at the disc that says uh, that talks about Thomas, and booted up, and the screen says Cy Force Thomas Boyd Siphon. What's that all about? Read on. So hmm. Siphon is uh, Thomas Boyd's code name that uh, Proudhawk gave him, apparently. And uh, we get the computer narration now about Thomas's young life. Thomas Boyd, age 17, wealthy Boston family, mostly ignored by his family, sent to boarding schools. So we get, um, he's a junior at a prep school in Connecticut, and he's cool and uh, kind of a jerk to people. (laughs) And he does have these like, um, sort of naive psychic powers, like he's uh, doing that card reading trick with people. They're testing him, and uh, this probably got him on the CIA list, as he says. Um, list of young people with advanced ESP abilities I was compiling for the CIA. Mm-hmm. Then, as everywhere on Earth, the sky over this school went white for a few seconds. And like most people, Thomas Boyd was apparently severely affected by it. And that's the white event. Reports filtered to me, says Emmett in his uh, narration. And the day after the event, Boyd was bullying a lower classman. And suddenly he accidentally did this like power leech from this kid. What are you doing to me, Boyd? Stop. Please stop. Boyd was apparently as shocked by what was happening as his adversary, too shocked to let go until he really hurt the kid. So he manifested some sort of ability to dissipate what I can only call the life energy of other people. So he ran away from the campus, and a few days later, um, Emmett finds out about this and goes searching for him along with his partner, Derek Shining Star. Don't, don't, don't. Who is the big bad? Obviously, we found out, but the kids don't know. The kids still do not know. And uh, as he says, you get these two guys walking in, like uh, the shadows, uh, to a um, find a you know anonymous body. But we were too late to help him; he was dead. And then at this point, the Cyforce is arguing, "Dead, but he's alive, of course." And uh, when like Stalker or his boss must have faked his death, so Prodhok would give up on the search. Hmm. That he Michael did. Think, sorry. Yeah, that he did. Yes. <laughs> yeah, makes makes sense. So things are finally falling into place here. We're getting some like mysteries that have been outstanding for quite a while resolved. That's cool. And let's see. Michael is again thinking to himself um, that he's uh, Thomas is a guy who needs an acceptance and like you know, a a positive group around him. He could really benefit from a group like us. 
maybe someone else would be better off like leaving on their own. Anyway, hey guys, let's look at the other disc before we make up our minds. So the next one they pull out is Cyforce, Tyrone Jessup, Voyager. Have we seen these code names before? Only in the solicitation or something? Yeah, solicitations. And at least, at least like the earliest one had like half of them were completely crazy. We never saw those words again. Yeah. And then we'd see like Voyager or Healer pop up, but we'd still have to kind of guess which one it meant because (laughs) they were never identified so yeah is this like a a note that was going around the marvel offices get these guys some code names now put them in the book not just in the back not just in the letters column in the book okay tyrone jessup vibratron lube job (laughs) wait what (laughs) sorry i i was thinking of dp7 there some of the letters page suggestions right (laughs) I'd love to see some of the Cypher suggestions for this Tyrone is actually happy I like mine Voyager yeah so he says he's got the basic story down but I'll fill in the details for you guys and they tell him or he tells him the others he's out for a bicycle ride suddenly everything went blank and uh you know, at the white event, he fell right off his bike and, you know, no one knew what happened at the time and he, he didn't know what to make of it. But um, that night he half dreamed himself falling downstairs and re- later realized that was his astral self. So he's sort of like in this, thinks he is having a dream and projecting himself through his house, but it's really this astral form that actually is running around in the house. So he's, you know, that's weird, but that's nothing, right? But when he goes down to check, you know, he's the the he's scared off a couple of thieves who broke into his house. And he goes down and oh, there were actually were a couple of criminals like in his house. And his mother and father are like shouting them off. So hmm, that's yeah. weird. Looks like they've seen a ghost. Hmm. conveniently timed crime <laughs> so yeah Tyrone thought at first he was going crazy but um, you know once he calmed down he figured that, that, that he could do this on command and so he realized it was a real thing and uh, at some point Proudhawk became aware of it um, and um, influenced him to leave and join up with the other kids in San Francisco so Michael's thinking to himself, Tyrone's a good guy. In many ways, he's the keeps the team functioning, keeps our spirits up. And his power doesn't really protect him, so he really needs the team around. So as we're going through everyone, Michael's kind of judging them based on like how important they are to the group or how much they need the group, which is interesting. I mean, Michael's the youngest, and so you see him many times as the most immature but he's taken a very you know mature uh, approach to this and thinking very you know deeply about it so well let's look at another disc okay here's stasi cyforce anastasia inution healer 
That's, yeah, okay. On the nose? <laughs> a little on the nose. Healer, well, prosaic, but to the point, she, as <laughs> Stasi herself says. How strange to see the facts of my life in cold computer type. And uh, so, as it says, she's a girl growing up in the Soviet Union. Um, plants always seem to bloom around her, and they did various ESP tests on her there. And then she was sent to live with an uh, aunt and uncle in Kansas, in the U.S. And, oh, here, that's where she first demonstrated ESP abilities. But then that aunt and uncle were killed in an accident. She goes back home, and they're tell her that her parents are dead there too we don't know how truthful that is um suspicious suspicious but the government knew about her green thumb and her esp scores and everything so they keep her sort of trapped in this special project with the siberian project at the project i was uh with a bunch of other people with similar gifts um and while she tries doing things with it, it was, you know, it's not that impressive. But one day, the whole the sky, indeed the whole world, turned white. I thought it was the flash of a nuclear explosion. Calmly sat down and waited to die. But it was not. The world returned to normal. But I did not. She is out uh, playing in the field with soccer with several of the other kids. And a kid cracks his ankle. And uh, she goes over to try to help, and she ends up doing far more than she dreamed possible. A glow emanated from my hands, surrounding Piotr, and in seconds, his foot was healed. Piotr is scared <laughs> and runs off. But uh, unfortunately, the counselors there were watching, knew it had happened, knew she had become even more valuable. So... They then started testing her on all kinds of people from cancer to heart disease and more powerful than we've seen, honestly. But so she's uh, told that the state has big plans for her and she is just praying to leave. And suddenly, someday it came. Uh, Emmett broke in to the Siberian project. And we see him rappelling down a huge wall with her uh, to escape and uh, to take her back to the U.S. And she's asking, like, you're telling me the CIA has been keeping tabs on me? I don't know if that's good or bad. Um, could anything be worse than what you, they were doing to you in there? Well, I mean, if you're just going to do the same thing back to me back, back in Kansas, I, you know. Um, anyway. There's a car chase. People are shooting at her and uh, they're using psychic powers to escape. Um, and as we remember from the first issue, these people followed her all the way back to the U.S. and killed Emmett. That was the Russian agents that we were fighting at first. Mind Wolf. Gang. So um, she's still broken up about all her family is dead and everything. And Michael's like, wow, she is so alone. She needs the group. She needs the protection. KGB is after her all the time. And the CIA. CIA has not been kind to paranormals in this comic or others. So, Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. 
I wouldn't jump my, into the arms of the CIA if I were you, Stasi, but that's just me. Anyway, we move on over to uh, another scene of Thomas, who is several blocks away from Sanctuary. Um, and he's kind of crawling through back alleys, mumble, uh, thinking to himself that he's losing blood. And he's got to find Proudhawk's kids and try to get their help. And he realizes that he lied to them before and they don't trust him, but I gotta get their help. Change over to another scene where we see Derek Shining Star, the big bad guy who's um, Thomas's ex boss, uh, talking on the phone. You lost him, you idiot. Find him and find the other five. They must all be eliminated and swiftly. Don't even let them see you. And he's uh, talking to some mercenary. We'll nail all those brats. I'm paying you enough to do the job. Click. Um, he thinks to himself that like, if these guys actually knew about all these weird powers the kids have, they'd never do it. So he's just trying to get them to do it quickly. So um, they won't you know, overthink it and just run off. But he is uh, sure that he has to have the kids destroyed before they find out who I am and come after me. Back at the museum. Okay, Wayne's file is next. Shall we take a quick break here before we uh, break the uh, news of what Wayne is really like when he was growing up? <laughs> you want to take an actual break? Um, or just all right, breaking something. Welcome back. And now that Stephen has ran out of new Eumania, I will take over the narration duties. Never. I've never run out of new Eumania. Your new Eumania meter is definitely running low. I mean, oh, <laughs> we're recording this right after the uh, daylight savings time. So, <laughs> daylight saving time. Uh -huh. Anyway, uh, so yeah, so, you know, we're, we're counting down. Uh, all of the characters' floppy disk files from Proudhawk as uh, Michael is trying to rationalize, you know, who might be the best fit to leave the group. Um, and yeah, so we just got to Wayne, and he's he, they, he we don't see the screen, but he says, "Ah, what a stupid code name network." I agree, <laughs> um, but then he, in his head he says, mm, "I'd never admit it, but I actually kind of like it." It's like, oh, <laughs> uh, Wayne. You know what they say, you can network or you can not work. Right? <laughs> Call your LinkedIn account now, Wayne. You happy? You happy now? <laughs> I'm actually much less happy with that. Anyway. Yeah, it'd be a much worse code name than networking. <laughs> uh, so we get a little Wayne backstory. We know he hates his old man. We didn't know his old man was a cop who beat him up, I don't think. Um he says, I wouldn't ever lay a hand on him. He was my dad. I just walked around mad all the time, which is where we, why we like you, Wayne. Um, and so, in fact, he kind of got pushed around by his dad and then started up a gang. Um, and he said, even back then, I could persuade a lot of people to do things. Figured I just had a lot of charisma. 
So we kind of have this pattern that they all have these weaker versions of their uh, psychic powers, him to kind of like convince people what to do. Um, this is one day, me and a pal were ripping off some car parts when the sky went white, like a bolt of lightning, except it lasted a few seconds. Right, same thing you guys saw. So like the, the most talk about the white event in a long time. Um, so it faded away just as the cops busted him. Um, and he's panicking, saying, oh, uh, we're just taking this out of the garage. But in the head, he's thinking, come on, believe me, believe me, believe me. And it works. The guy, the police officer says, oh, of course, should have realized. Sorry to bother you. Um, so, yeah, he, he's the first major use of his mind push. And, you know, over the couple of days, he was kind of stealing stuff. But then... Uh, around a lot of people in a mall or a department store, then all of their thoughts and voices started breaking into him to have that kind of like classic psychic overload, can't tune the voices out moment. Um, he had talked about that in the previous issue. Uh, so he ran away, basically, you know, spent some time alone in a park and kind of sorted out his powers a little bit uh, before he went back and uh, could kind of survive that experience. Uh, and so, you know, perhaps foolishly tried to, uh, talk to his dad about it and he doesn't have anyone else. Um, but his dad's just drunk and angry and didn't really hear anything, um, until Wayne basically, you know, pushed him to hurt him. Uh, but accidentally read his father's mind and he saw how much emotional pain he was already in. I was so ashamed of what I'd done. You know, I ran out of there and never looked back. So it's kind of interesting little bit of nuance there. Um, you know, spent a few days alone uh, to try and understand, you know, but still not sure if he wasn't just crazy or not. Uh, and then he got this sudden desire to show up in San Francisco, which we had learned before was uh, Proud Hawk kind of pushing them all to to come and join his side force. And I guess he apparently had code names ready for them. <laughs> oh. So, yeah. Uh, Michael thinking about it, he's like, wow, I thought Wayne would be an ideal candidate to leave the group, always talking it down, but he really needs a family. He needs us. <laughs> All right. Well, what about Kathy? Um, Can we get rid of you, Kathy? What? <laughs> I mean, uh, look at your disc. <laughs> yeah. okay. So Kathy's code name is Shockwave, right? A little cooler, maybe mixed up with a transformer or something, but um, she's just, I like that. It sounds like a new wave band. Um, and she tells her story, which is honestly a little simpler. You know, she's at home on the recliner watching MTV, uh, complaining about the commercials. Her mom makes her go to her room and make her bed. And she says, I hate this. I wish the blankets would just jump up and make themselves. On cue. <laughs> what could happen? And then she kind of like throws them up in the air with her powers and they kind of fold down nicely on the bed. Um, and Kathy originally was always kind of grossed out by the powers thing and was really worried about being a freak. Um, so, you know, she freaks out, doesn't tell her parents, you know, confides in a friend who's trying to say it's just a nightmare. Let's go shopping. <laughs> so, I think that's Boom Boom from X Factor. A little bit. It's X got the big, big glasses and the poofy uh, blonde hair. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they, they took off took my folks car and drove off to the mall and as she's arguing about like a mug that's in the stock room in a department store with a sales girl she gets mad and accidentally like tosses her into the display case uh kind of brutally honestly uh the woman's like you know laid out 
kind of looking unconscious. Um, so at that point, she takes off, leaves her friend, leaves them all, drives off, out of control. Um, you know, she says, I almost killed myself by going off a cliff, by going over a cliff. Uh, oh, no, sorry. Only when I almost killed myself by going off over a cliff did I snap out of it. I went home. The parents were asleep. You know, spent some tr- time trying to make her powers work properly by kind of moving around the dinner plates and stuff. Uh, but basically, she was a wreck at that point. You know, cried herself to sleep every night. She says. And then Hawk came around and pushed me north to San Francisco. You all know the rest. So. We, we kind of had that backstory already to a degree, uh, maybe not quite as much detail. Um, yeah, it, Kathy's definitely the one who's the most socially um, conscious. I mean, she had friends and this whole life, and she's like, the last thing I ever wanted to be was a freak, you know. Sticking up and like being noticed was the last thing she had. Indeed. Yeah. All right. So. Again, Michael's kind of going through the list. It's, Kathy's barely been able to deal with having her powers. We can't send her out on her own. But then what do we... Uh, are there any members left besides Michael? Uh-oh. I don't think so. Um, so, Michael, it's time to look at your list. He's like, okay. Ox code name for me is Salvo? That's neat. Except didn't it used to be the name of a detergent? <laughs> Not familiar so- with that one, honestly. I'd like you're looking it up now, aren't you? I am. <laughs> um, Research department. Yeah. So m- more sad backstory. Uh, his dad died when he's a baby and mom was put in an institution. So he was foster home to orphanages, you know, so just lost kid there. Um, and, you know, just picked on all the time. There's a panel of like some kids dumping some oil on his head and he's like pinned to the ground um and you know when he's in the orphanage he's looking out the window uh when the white event happens and uh no no hints of powers for him before then per se um but yeah it's just, i couldn't stop thinking about it afterwards it was the oddest scientific phenomenon i'd ever heard of seen or heard of um so kind of neat um later on as as, uh, another foster family where the guys like working him and screaming at him at the farm um michael accidentally blows up the guy's pig slop bucket (laughs) best i can figure um and then gets madder um but you know just getting michael so upset and angry you know that he just kind of lets loose and starts a really big explosion so michaels hasn't had great control of his powers uh even recently they've been training but it hasn't been like the most controllable thing uh yeah he just blows up some stuff takes off as the uh farmer foster dad uh, is like there with his hands in like the prayer position like panicked mr lane thought it was some kind of punishment from heaven for all I know, he's still there on his knees praying. I'm I'm going to say that like it looks and reminds me a little of the uh, that like Stephen King movie Firestarter. You know, like a kid has psychic powers and they try to use him. He like makes a big, you know, everything blowing yeah. up around him on his way out the door. So he's a little nicer, I guess. He's no Drew Barrymore. I mean, come on. Yeah. Don't don't pick on kids. They might be able to explode things. 
that's the lesson. There you go. Um, so there's an interesting bit. So um, Michael's reading his file. It says, what is Hawk right here? Crawley might have the most trouble adjusting, potentially the most dangerous of the group. He's also the most immature, the most in need of guidance. It's like, no, that's not true, Hawk. Everybody, that's what everybody thinks, but it's not true. I'm not a helpless little kid anymore. I can't afford to be. I've got to make decisions now, be an adult for my friend's sake. Hey, he's the only one that's got a job. <laughs> that's something. It's like, I have to decide about stalker. Right? And on cue, uh, the floor, the stairway heading down into the museum computer room where they've all been hanging out, uh, reading files. Um, the floor creaks and Thomas walks in. He's got a sort of a bandage on his leg and he looks real shaky. And he's like, uh, told me at the sanctuary you were here. I'm desperate. Had to see you now. Couldn't wait. He's kind of stumbling in. Um, this kind of throws everybody into a panic. They're like, what? Like, this could be a trick. Uh, what if he's not alone? He's like, but Tyrone says, you know, get real. He can barely even stand. Um, so he, he makes his case. You know, I'm being followed by killers. I'm too weak. I can't fight him alone. I really need your guys' help. Um, you know, again, which kind of sets off decision time, you know, the, uh, kinder, gentler Psy Force members kind of want to help out where, you know, of course, Wayne is skeptical. Um, Michael's thinking to himself, it's supposed to happen this way. I'm supposed to make a decision or no, it says not supposed to, I'm supposed to be making the decision and I'm supposed to have until tomorrow to make it. Uh, timetable has moved up, Crawley. Um, before they even get to decide, like, hey, are we gonna, are we gonna try and help this guy? Uh, surrounded by hired goons, so dun, all dun, of a sudden, dun. yeah, dun dun. Uh, all of a sudden, surrounded by gunmen, at least three guys with machine guns pointed at them, have them surrounded. Um, these goons may be leveled up. This guy's got the trench coat, but instead of the hat, has an eye patch. And instead of the handgun, he's got the Uzi. So, you know, you know, when you get farther in the video game the, and the bad guys level up and they got better gear, you know. So, mm, yeah, yeah. I think that's what we're up against here. Um, so amazingly, you know, they these goons took the orders correctly. Like they didn't spend a lot of time talking. Um, they just start shooting. Um, Kathy throws up some computer parts uh, to kind of block some bullets. Um, but really, everything's just kind of flying everywhere. It's a bit amazing that they didn't all get shot up. Um, but, you know, Kathy's kind of saving the day here, takes those objects up like file cabinets and monitors, blocks some bullets and kind of launches them at some of the goons, you know, at least taking two of them down to the ground. Um, but they keep shooting. Uh, Wayne gets clipped in the arm, you know, as he's, you know, kind of thinking like, ah, snap out of it, man. You got to do something. Um, a nice little touch because probably teenagers are not going to be able to jump in and start fighting in the action, uh, in the middle of getting shot at. They would be a little freezing and panicking. It seems normal. Sure. Um, all right. So after that, uh, Tyrone trying to help Wayne, you know, what can you do? Hide behind a desk and send out your ghost form. Uh, so he sends it out to basically try and spook the guys out. Uh, and it kind of works, uh, distracting them for a little while. Uh, and he says, they're falling for my cornball, cornball rap. I love it. 
You were the wrath of the grim ghost, immortals. And yeah, that's exactly what he says. So, <laughs> okay, it's a good uh, rap. But yeah, so these guys haven't been warned that they have powers, so you know, a good chance to catch them by surprise. Um, Stasi jumps in to heal Wayne. Uh, Michael starts blowing things up. Uh, so this will all stop if I blow their guns up, right? Which he could potentially do. Um, but the panel looks like like a ton of energy coming out of them and it kind of misses and just takes up the wall between the computer lab and like the rest of the museum. Uh, so it says the psionic blast blows a hole in the wall into the adjoining main wing of the museum. Um, but there's a couple of people still working there. Um, in the early morning uh, that have kind of like stood there frozen and uh, Kathy kind of shoves them out of the way. So this is probably our, the most action our Cypher squad has seen in a while. Like they were kind of training with um, the relatives of Proudhawk on the reservation, Eugene. And so maybe they're a little better at their powers, but usually things had been, happening pretty quickly for them. Uh, hadn't had a chance for this much combat. Um, but so far, none of the goons are taken out for good. Uh, a guy takes aim at Wayne, and Tyrone kind of tackles him from behind. So it's just kind of like a crazy scene with a lot going on. Um, and Michael, again, is kind of still trying to figure out who should leave. Um, and uh, Kathy lifts them all up. Right to kind of float through the air to you know perhaps kind of escape trouble, but she's losing her grip because it's a little too much power for her, and everyone kind of drops on the ground, and that was kind of like the mistake there. You know the goons recover and kind of surround them, where all six kids now are all kind of laying there. It says the the boss never told us that these kids what these kids can do. Hanging around a place like this, they must be science whizzes. <laughs> but however they do it, our rate just increased tenfold. <laughs> Bunch of science whizzes. <laughs> science whizzes force. <laughs> I don't like it. Yeah. So I assume it's Michael narrating this last bit where you know he says, you know, Wayne, Kathy, and Thomas are too out of it. Um, to do anything, I'm the only one left with any real power, but I might oh yeah, so Michael, I might blow us all up we've got one last chance the Psyhawk Psyhawk yeah, so it's actually then like a three quarters full splash page, right, so it doesn't quite take up two pages uh, but it's actually a really cool like nice piece of art of like Psyhawk erupting from the ground and his wings all spread and his arms out and like the the Christ pose, like a T kind of thing, uh, screaming. So we haven't seen Cyhawk in a little while, but uh, Cyhawk lives again. Um, and of course, this breaks out the goons, but this is a full-powered Cyhawk. He's got all of the abilities, so their bullets are going to pass right through him. You know, he can use uh, Tyrone's power just to be intangible, or he doesn't even have to leave an astral form. Um and eye patch guy who seems to be their leader is like, these brats created it somehow i bet if we ice him that'll the that bird thing will die too 
which we know is not the case because the CIA killed Psy Force, <laughs> or at least gunned them all down, and Psy Hawk killed those guys and healed, resurrected healed the team. Yeah. So, um, but it doesn't matter, right? So, Psy Hawk's not falling for that. Uh, they, they open fire, but he uses Kathy's powers to just bend the bullets up to the ceiling. And, um, Cyhawk's always been helpful. Here we see him with a really evil-looking grin, uh, more like their dream version of him sort of being evil. He says, uh, I can't believe what I'm seeing, but I think he did it. I got a feeling he ain't through. He isn't. Uh, so the Cyhawk, you know, launches their guns in the air, uh, basically explodes them. Uh, launches the criminals in the air and kind of flies up to grab them. It has stalker's powers too. So the guy's like, I feel so weak, like he's draining all the life out of me, killing me. Um, our narration says the Cyhawk is using a power he has only once before manifested, a power much like Thomas Boyd's energy leeching power a power he now uses with a savage, unrelenting fury, the likes of which those who conjured him have never seen. Wow. Yeah, okay. <laughs> You're killing me, Smalls. It's killing the goons. Um, so Wayne's thinking, I can't read the Psyhawk's mind, but there's psychic turmoil raiding out of it. He's crazed. He might kill those guys. Do something to stop him, Kathy. And she's like, why? Those creeps deserve it. I'm with you there, Kathy. Uh, it's like, we're not Do I have judged. to get justice to give you a talking to, Wayne? Right? Vaporize. Don't ask any questions. Right? It's not even vaporize and ask questions later. Just vaporize. I don't have to read those guys' auras to know they're no good. Yeah, and Cyhawk's kind of messing with him, too, because he could quite easily command them to kill each other, blow them up, right? Send them into the atmosphere. <laughs> so he's got uh, a basically a boosted version of all of their powers all at once. So that, that's my understanding, at least. Um, so instead, he drops them uh, as Wayne kind of uses a, a psychic push and... Uh, makes Kathy kind of grab them and pull them to the ground, um, probably giving him a concussion, but maybe not killing them. Uh, but this pisses off the Cyhawk, uh, who then starts going after the teens, right? He's, the Cyhawk is actually attacking Cyforce and blowing up the ground around them, um, which is a big deal. Um, and you know, thinking the hawk's been acting weird since we summoned him today, like he's going crazy. Yeah, losing sight of what needs to be done. Um, Wayne tries to use his power. Uh, says, Cyhawk, calm down, stop attacking us. Um, it does a little bit to distract him, uh, as you know, Kathy kind of hovers the goons out of the way, um, so they don't die. Um, but again, you know, things are looking kind of grim here. The they are safe from the gunman, but the Cyhawk is just blowing up the room all around them. It's a nice little panel of it kind of like flying in the air, panned far away with just explosions going on everywhere and little bits of stuff. Uh, it's like, it just seems to have made him matter. <laughs> yeah. Check out the telescope, it looks like. Telescope's no good. Uh, I think we, we both know scientific instruments are pretty expensive. So this is a uh, yeah 
We're going to have to have a real talk with their insurance company. <laughs> uh, so yeah, the, 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 they're in the museum proper now. It's just blowing up the exhibits and um, a bunch of glass starts, shards start flying and Kathy's able to stop them. Um, Cyhawk's not giving up, still taking things. He starts going after Michael Crawley. Uh, and again, he's still kind of thinking. Uh, so with the shock of that sudden return to reality comes a sudden realization. Like, oh, wow. It's so obvious why Cyhawk is going mad and so's how to stop them. Um, says, Wayne, push me unconscious. He's like, what? Are you crazy? We need all the power we can have. He's like, you want power? Here's power. And so um, in, a, in a brief bit of respite from getting attacked by Cyhawk, um, Michael goes after Wayne and basically kind of tricks him into knocking him out, right? So it's like, all right, have it your way. Go to sleep. So he knocks out uh, Crawley, and then that was it. There's like one last guy, but then Cyhawk calms down. Cyhawk fades away, and Cyhawk really can only handle five psychic teens, right? So the five rabbits is the maximum amount of rabbits for that dream scenario. Otherwise, Cyhawk goes crazy and tries to kill everyone. Hmm. Unexpected. Yeah, but kind of neat. <laughs> it has a limit. So yeah, the they have survived. Uh, so, so, and a minute later, so Stasi heals the goons. Honestly, that seems like really overkill. Uh, uh, Wayne, come on, Stasi. Right? Wayne gives them a forget everything you saw, get out of here fast. And then Stasi wakes up and kind of heals uh, Crawley and then heals um, the soccer, Thomas Boyd. Um, she had kind of given him like a feedback loop in, the, in their first encounter. Like she was the only one that could stand up to him. Like her powers like kind of reversed his in some way. But uh, in this case, she's able to heal him. Uh, editor's note, Psy Force number five. If you want to go back and listen to that podcast. I know you're scared to have me touch you, Thomas, after our battle that time. Hmm. <laughs> no comments. Stasi's an attractive young woman. I don't think he'll argue too much with that. Anyway, moving hey. on. <laughs> yeah. So so Thomas ends up kind of explaining it, right? So on the disc, he says he he was afraid because there were five rabbits in that weird dream. Could be mean there could be severe consequences if more than five of us were together. And he was right. The Cyhawk is uncontrollable until I forced Wayne to zap me unconscious. Um, and so Tyron's like, well, all we have to do is boot Thomas back out to the world and poof, problem all gone. Um, but you know, that was not Michael's conclusion. He's like, no, no, he's, he's on the list. He's like a family. Um, Wayne gets a little pushy. He's like, I need to know about this guy. How much does he, uh, I want to know about this other family, the guy who used to be his boss. So he kind of invades uh, Boyd's mind. And you got a neat panel of him kind of looking stunned. Um, he's like, ah, he's like, all I know is a guy named Bill and he's not any of the addresses that Thomas knew. The guy's a mystery to him too. But it wasn't Bill anyway. Was Bill the name that he thought it was? I'd have to go back and look if I remember. I don't remember him using a name at all, but I can imagine like him fake being a fake name to this kid. Yeah. Who doesn't 
etheric shining star, the big bad CIA trouble causer. Uh, didn't really like Thomas Boyd. He was just using him and kind of training him uh, to take out the other guys for him. And then he probably would have killed him too, um, as far as that goes. Uh, but yeah, this is this is the ending of the book so far. It says, don't Thomas, or I'm sorry, uh, Michael Crowley again is is talking and explaining his read on the situation. It says, don't you see, Wayne, any one of us suddenly burdened with these weird new abilities out in the world on their own could have ended up manipulated just like Thomas was. He needs a group like us even more than any of us. because He's never had one. Right. The fact that doesn't change the fact someone's got to leave the group. I'm going to make the sacrifice. I'm going out on my own. Um, nobody's having any of that. You're like, what? It must be another way. It's like, no, this makes the most sense. Hawk himself said, I'm the biggest drag on the group, yet the most powerful. Stasi is in you, Michael. No, you mustn't say such things. Wayne, for his own good, stop him because Wayne could just reach into his mind and change it. Right. Just make him stay. And he said, don't you dare, Wayne. You know it'd be the wrong thing. And somebody, someday, somehow, I'd make you sorry for it. That's a promise. So it's getting serious here. But Mike, they were just finally best friends uh, at the beginning of this, right? After all the arguing and trouble, like they've come together. They're buddies. They're a group. And so in the end, Michael starts walking away, saying goodbye. And since Wayne hesitates for just a second. Wayne hesitates another second. That's all the time Crawley needs. And he makes a huge explosion uh, behind him, blows up the floor, dust cloud that would make Dragon Ball Z proud. Uh, the smoke clears and he's gone. And um, the realistically, I'm sure they could probably could have caught up to him, but um, dramatic moment was not wasted. And they did not. Um, and last two panels, we get the next day. Um, and it's basically that classic sad scene where someone's leaving for, on the bus with the backpack slung over one shoulder and thinking sadly of where they must go. Um, and, you know, we don't know. He's like, but he's 300 miles away from San Francisco, used his rainy day money from his job, I guess. Um, he says, when Kathy and Wayne tried to leave the group in the past, the Cyhawk made them feel compelled to come back. I haven't even felt a twinge. I guess I did the right thing. I guess I'm on my own now. Forever. And so it begins. A bold new era for Cyforce. Don't miss a second of it in number 13. On sale soon. On sale now. Well, was on sale. 36 years ago or something uh, it was like a week or two later yeah <laughs> wow well thanks for giving me the action part <laughs> yeah i thought you'd like the wayne part and it just sort of bled over into the action but yeah um wow this is quite a book. Like yeah. I, I was starting to say before, if Starbrand felt like two fill-in issues stuck together while the regular book continued with like key issues, this is like the reverse, where like the last couple of Psy Forces were like, yeah, take it or leave it, but they stuck like the top 
creators on this annual double length. So it's like two solid issues of, you know, important character moments, um, important story moments. Yeah. Cannot miss this one. Yeah. And I have to say, I don't really like annuals. They always, they're like, where do I fit them in the collection? Like what month do they go after? Is it important to the story? Is it not important to the story? They cost too much. Like they're too, like, but it's 125. Was, right. But <laughs> this was solid. Right. Like if you're going to use it as like an extra sized issue for like something important to happen and not just like some random collage of stories, like I guess I could get behind that. Yeah, like when a TV show like does like a two-part stories. episode, then it's kind of like a rare moment for that show. Mm. There's a like a few. Um, I remember it would be like there'd be like a normal length one, and then like a sixteen pager or a couple of eight pagers or things like that. That was real, like you know, you'll see people's first work in comics and those kind of stories. You know, yeah, be real hit and miss too. Like, I just want to read the eight-page story from the regular writer and what's all this other stuff. Yeah, so this was definitely like um, in continuity and, you know, you would have to read 12 before this and 13 afterwards, so. Yeah, I guess it kind of works too because like the first half on its own would be really boring. Like they're just talking and there's a little bit of action as they're chasing Thomas Boyd, but not much. And then putting them together you've got the setup and then the big payoff so yeah i guess you're right yeah it's i thought it was like involving enough but you're right it's a lot of memories and things which isn't great action <laughs> like yeah and like reading it now in 2023 like the big goofy computers and discs and stuff is kind of fun it adds a little extra like retro nostalgic element to it uh just on top of like the regular like decent story and good art kind of thing so it's we get a little bonus reading it this late i think <laughs> otherwise it is a little slow salvo was discontinued in 1974 so these guys are really we're making a call back even then but yeah so the kids wouldn't really know probably what that was <laughs> <laughs> yeah sometimes you get the writer referring to things that the characters couldn't know um yeah it's uh solid and i was pretty happy to read this i mean in fact happier than i'd been with the cyforce issue in a while um it's been okay but um this is what it felt sort of stand out to me so yeah pretty psyched with it also i enjoyed the code names and all that <laughs> rigmarole and over here in his uh, other duffel bag, he brought costumes for you. <laughs> I, I, I suspect at some point costumes are going to show up in some of these things, but I'm not looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's I, I appreciate that it's kind of a challenge for artists to like do it's harder for them to do like everyday clothes um, is usually like drapery and, you know, uh, you're not just doing, you know, figure work in, and the sort of tight uh, things. Yeah. That's kind of classic comic book though. Right. Like if you really want to be a comic artist, you can't just draw big muscle dudes 
really well in cool poses like you got to be able to draw a house and a fence and a dog and a car and you know all that i mean that was like a classical artist people would say kirby could do yeah like give me just a normal guy running that you know three quarters uh, turn and blah 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 and he could you know no no problem at all and then there's like a generation raised on reading his books that is like doesn't have like a solid you know classical artist education that's right just they only think in terms of yeah super um, trying to hide the feet off panel and a big muscle dude and yeah, some of those guys uh, formed their own company a couple of years after this was published. But anyway, that's another <laughs> good riddance, I say. Good riddance. <laughs> um, Upstarts. Oh well, it's a. F- I mean, it's a funny world. Um, yes, but bold yeah. new era, right? I mean, that's got to mean something, or is that just blowing smoke? I seeing a couple of covers coming up and and Boyd is there. I don't know if Michael comes crawling back at some point, but um, I think for the time being, we'll assume that Cyforce is these five guys now. And uh, yeah, I admire their sort of moxie and shaking things up and heading in a new uh, direction. I don't know if, uh, you know, they felt limited with Michael or something or it's, you know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it could go either way, but but just like change for the sake of it. But it kind of gives you some story to tell. Um, so let's see where that takes us. Yeah, interesting. Mm-hmm. The um, let's see, you got a grade for it? Oh, uh, I, I I had the most fun podcasting about it more, even more than just reading it. I think. He's, can kind of get into it a little more than just kind of sitting on the couch with it. Um, I'm really excited about the direction for the comic. I'll give it a B plus. I will take it all the way to an A minus. Enjoying that. Yeah. It's pretty, uh, pretty psyched with it. And um, I'm also psyched and looking forward to the new direction. See where they go with that. Again, this is, I think for both of us, the book we are least familiar with. So yeah. Everything that happens in it is a surprise to us. The code names won you over, didn't they? I did help, yeah. Salvo. Hmm. Well, I guess we don't need that one anymore, but anyway. Yeah. Um Healer, Voyager, Salvo, Shockwave, Network, Siphon. Sounds good. Yeah. Sounds good. If they start wearing t-shirts with Cyforce on it, I'll be psyched too. Yeah. Well, let's see. Um, I don't think we have time for a discussion today. So, yeah, I guess that's it for this week's mega sized, really long, m- multiple page, too many words annual. Uh, <sighs> but thankfully, it was a good one. Uh, next week, we continue covering the new universe annuals. With, and the next of the four 87s was Merc Annual number one. The- All right. Merc Annual number one. Not a hoax, not a dream. It's the death of Mark Hazard and the introduction of a new Merc and what just might be the biggest shocker of the year. <laughs> Except you already told us about it. And there is the new Merc someone new or was it the guy who went to fight Russia by himself? <laughs> That's the thing. If it's, I, I don't remember. And if it's, uh, 
I'd expect it to be Lynn Griffin, right? Wouldn't it be awesome if it wasn't though? Like all new Merc, like get ready for his adventures that you'll we never make a comic of. I mean, I'll take any of the other team that we've seen so far, like Priestess or Sergeant Major, right? As just like, well, thanks for at least trying to to surprise me. Um, Tree top in the gang. Yeah, and if it's like someone we haven't seen at all, I'll at least give them credit for like completely pulling the a rabbit out of the hat. That's what I'm hoping for because I will add him to my pantheon of weird new universe characters of as the Merc who's got no work. <laughs> He's got no job. We've never hired him for anything because we just ran out of comic. <laughs> <laughs> that rhyme just came off the top of my head. <laughs> Careful. You know I've got new humania. <laughs> don't want to... So anyway. The biggest new humania. <laughs> shocker of the year. Scripted by Doug Murray, penciled by Vincent Waller, inked by Fraha Bator, the cover by Mike Zek and Bob McCloyd, McLeod. Shorter version, Merc Annual Number One. Mark Hazard faces death for the final time. Okay. Death I think Braha Bator might be the guy wearing the cape with the big thing, with <laughs> big cowl. That's a, that's a cool name for whom, whomever that might be. Um, but yeah, it's all right. So kickersinc.com. Uh, send us some emails if you think you can beat New Umania as a slogan. Uh, we, we, we like modern slogans. Uh, hit us up at newuniversepodcast at gmail.com. And until next time, this has been the voice of the New Universe, and we'll see you back at the spinner rack. Don't throw away the duck. Don't do it.